many doubted we'd ever see it, but here it is. The return to glory. McDavid stops up. What a move. Shoots. Scores. Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Outsiders. It's podcast number 25. I'm Bryn Griffiths along with Robin Brownlee. How you doing today, Robin? I'm good, Bryn. Ready to rock. Everything going okay out of your garage studio? <laughs> it's the garage today. Sometimes it's the dining room. Yeah, it all, it all works. We're kind of low-tech around here right now, but uh, it works. Well, we'll, uh, we'll get that all figured out by 2021, I figure. Uh, anyway, I, we're, we're, I'm just teasing. Lots to talk about on the big show today. Our headliner guest is Darren Drager from TSN, the Hockey Insider. It will be his third appearance on this program. He was one of our very first guests. The last time we chatted with Double D was back on the 11th of November last year. So looking very much forward to talking about the Stanley Cup, how the bubble stuff has been going, free agency, the draft. Bill Guerin's been a busy puppy in Minnesota trying to change the dynamics of that team. We'll talk about what's happening uh-huh. in Arizona. The award winners are all now announced, and, of course, that gives people lots of stuff to talk about, and we'll see how his buddy Ray Ferraro is doing on their podcast together. So lots of stuff to chat with Darren Drager from TSN about on the big show today. Let's get right to our topics du jour, though. Let's talk about the Stanley Cup final. And I'm going to say it right out of the gate. I'm actually a little bored by this Stanley Cup final. It just, it, I don't know. There's some, there is something not grabbing me, and I can't quite figure out what it is. I don't know. You know, we, we've always laughed a little bit and pointed fingers at our friends south of the 49th parallel about the fact that when their team is done, they're done. We talk about regionality and the fact that if if your home squad is out, you just don't seem to have the same level of interest. Well, in Canada, people always seem to come back for the Stanley Cup final with a renewed interest to see who's going to win it all. And will the commissioner get booed while he's handing it out? That That's another interesting little sidebar story to this one. This might be the only time the commissioner is going to get cheered. Or will he? Will they show a sense of humor and will they add some boo sound effects in as he comes out to hand off the Stanley Cup? But anyway, back to this regionalism thing. You know, we're located in Canada. We're located in Edmonton. The Oilers didn't even qualify for the postseason, couldn't even get in. But I I don't think that that's hurt my interest level so much. It's just that they're playing now in the month of September, and the weather here yeah. has been really great since the middle of July. And so I'm wondering if people are opting to go golfing because the weather's great. I love my back deck, and I really don't want to drag a big screen TV outside on the back deck just to watch hockey. I'd rather just sit out there with a Bailey's and coffee. But I'm just finding it a little dull. Am I the only one? Well, you- I, you know what? I don't think so, Bryn. Um, everything is different about this. I mean, we can go right down the list, but everybody knows what we're dealing with. Uh, during this pandemic, no people in the building. We've talked before about, I think the NHL has done uh, uh, as good a job as you can ask of them 
and tarping the building with the monitors and, and at least, you know, presentation wise, it's as good as it's going to get. It's better than a bunch of empty seats. Um, for me, it's the timing of it. Uh, this late when you're, especially, um, you know, in certain geographic areas, like where we are in Edmonton, when it's nice, people want to get out. They want to go to the lake. It's the same out in Ontario. Um, you know, a Stanley Cup final uh, in September, uh, it just doesn't happen. From a regional point of view, how many people outside of recognizing the Tampa Bay Lightning are a fine organization, they're annual contenders, um, they do things right, but how much do people really care about the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Dallas Stars if they aren't in those markets? It's the same uh, most years, a lot of the local markets will drop out once their team's out. But when you add it to the situation, no fans in the building, and you add it to the timing, yeah, it's kind of like, meh, uh, you know, I got yard work to do. I'm not really surprised that Dallas is in the mix here. I'm, I'm not, because they've got a really good blend of veterans and goaltending, which is leading their attack. So I'm not surprised there, and I'm not surprised by Tampa as well. What I'm kind of enjoying watching is Rick Bonus because he's uh, the time has come for Rick to win, and I'd love to see it. Uh, he, he's such a great guy. You've had a chance to talk with him, I'm sure, either individu- uh-huh. in, in, other individually or a, as a group. But he's he's all he's a hockey guy. And I just, uh, I'd like to see him win. Then you take a look at the other side of things, uh, and this is, it can't be just an Edmonton thing, but I'm watching Corey Perry play. And I absolutely uh, love the way he plays the game. I always have. Whether you love him or hate him, he's always in the mix. He's won pretty much at every level he's ever played at. He's going to be a Hockey Hall of Fame guy once he's done. But, boy, there's a lot of things about Corey Perry which can drive you absolutely insane or just make you smile and say, this guy is a winner. And uh, I know for some people, they're struggling with Kevin Bieksa being a broadcaster now because they didn't like the way he played the game. But, man, he's done a great job. So we're really struggling with a few things here, Robin. Well, you know what? You You mentioned bonus. He's the epitome of, you know, the saying time flies. Rick Bonus is 65 years old now. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't look at the end with, but he's been around. He's one of those guys. He's a media-friendly guy, so, of course, we like him. He's always willing to talk hockey. He's engaging as a coach. He's been everywhere, and and everybody likes him. On the flip side, Corey Perry hasn't been everywhere, but... Almost nobody likes him unless he's wearing your jersey. Then he's a hell of a player. Oh, and yeah. isn't that isn't that the truth? And isn't that the measure of a guy who's truly effective? People in Edmonton, people in Detroit, pick a city, they hate Corey Perry's guts. Well, there's a reason for it. He's a skilled guy who knows how to agitate. He may be on the downside of his career now. I think that's clear. But he's been a hell of a hockey player for a long time. And like this, this is when uh, he's uh, at his best. Uh, my only regret about Corey Perry is that he didn't end up as an Edmonton Oiler when he probably should have oh, been. Oh, we're going to go down that road, are we? Okay, well, let's uh, 
let's let's talk about that. Now this takes us way back to uh, this. For me, this goes back to when I was on the radio at what was then Team Twelve Sixty, and we were going through an episode with Mike Comrie not wanting to play for the Edmonton Oilers, and there was a reporter in town who covered the Edmonton Oilers. Oh, his name was Robin Brownlee. Do you want to do you want to break yeah. that one down a little bit here? Well, it's it's funny, and you know, to be honest with you, Bryn, I got a break on on uh, the Mike Comrie stuff, really, because I had a, a pretty good relationship uh, with his agent, Rich Winter. So, I, you know, I occasionally would uh, get word that this or that was going to happen. And the, the funny thing was, um, you know, when, when Mike Comrie and the Oilers decided it was time to go their separate ways and Kevin Lowe set out to deal him, uh, there was one point in talks of Anaheim where... Mike was going to go uh, to Anaheim uh, for a prospect at that time named Corey Perry. The problem is uh, Kevin Lowe had said to Rich and Mike, well, before we complete the deal, you can, you can talk to them, you can make your own deal, but before it's done, I need to talk to you again. Uh, there's something we need to discuss. Well, that's something we need to discuss was two and a half million dollars that Kevin Lowe and the Oilers wanted back yeah. uh, from the money that had been paid to Mike Comrie. And that was an 11th hour thing. And uh, I mean, guys actually had a uh, going away party for Mike Comrie. It was a done deal. And it turns out, well, it wasn't a done deal. The done deal came undone because the two and a half million dollars wasn't coming back and uh, it, the deal evaporated. And I remember the first time we went into Anaheim and, you know, I I talked to Brian Murray on the phone at that time and uh, you know, he was, he was exasperated and Brian Murray was a hell of a guy and and another media friendly guy. And he was so, he was so pissed on that phone call. He tried to be professional, but it was like WTF. Uh, he thought he had a deal. And I remember the first time we went into Anaheim and everybody scrummed him once it became public. Uh, you know, he he had calmed down a little bit. But yeah, it was one of those deals that looked done, that came undone. And that's the, that's the Corey Perry coulda, shoulda, would have been an oiler uh, that never happened. Obviously, coming up in a little bit, we're going to talk about the player awards and all that kind of stuff. And also, uh, real quick, I'd like to touch on the Raptors, but the fact that and looking at some of the TV ratings, Canada hasn't exactly tuned out of the NBA uh, playoffs because of a Canadian kid named Jamal Murray, who's really been sensational to watch. We'll get to all of that in a little bit, but I want to get to our headliner while we can, and then we'll come back and we'll kind of uh, touch on a bunch of this stuff when we get an opportunity. But uh like I said, uh, let's uh, let's not waste a lot of time, and uh, let's bring in Darren Drager from TSN, who's the Hockey Insider. Lots of stuff to talk about. I'd like to say three times is a charm. This is his third appearance 
on the Outsiders. The last time we chatted with Darren Drager from TSN was back on the 11th of November last year. It's been quite the year for a bunch of us. And uh, it's nice to have you back, man. Welcome welcome back to the podcast. Ah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Good to see you looking like a bazillion dollars, Brent. I just feel like I've lost a complete jockey weight-wise. But, uh, but I've, I'm feeling really, really good. But uh, thanks for coming on. It's, uh, it's, it, this has been an interesting year. Here we are. We're talking about the Stanley Cup final. We're kind of bringing the month of September to a close. How are you feeling about everything? I mean, it's been odd, hasn't it, uh, for so many different ways. Um, you know, covering this story from the onset as to whether or not the National Hockey League would be able to return, whether their sports would be able to return or not. And, you know, then the, the success rate of the return to play program, the fact that they haven't had any positive testing uh, at all to this point, I, I think is uh, true credit to the work that was done initially by the NHL and the National Hockey League Players Association. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know about you guys. I mean, you're in Edmonton, so perhaps you feel it more than I do. You know, we're all invested in the Stanley Cup final in some way, shape, or form. And I'm watching last night's game, and it, it could have been game 42 of the regular season, with all due respect. And it's not that the quality of the hockey isn't there. It's just it's so unusual to be watching this and realizing that it's game two of the Stanley cup final. Like I don't sense any level of electricity or, or buzz. Um, and maybe that's because it's obvious they're not playing that game in Dallas. So they're not playing it in Tampa Bay. So I'm not sure what to make of it at this point. Well, that's what I see too, Darren. I mean, you, you take the fans out of the equation. Yes, we know for good reason why there's not people yeah. in the building. And I think the NHL's done a terrific job of tarping off the building and using monitors to make it look as good as they can. But that's still not the same as a Game 2 or a Game 3 or a Game 7 in Toronto, yeah. in Edmonton, in Dallas. You can't replicate fans being in the building and the emotion that comes with those fans, can you? No, you can't. Um, and I think, honestly, Robin, that'll be one of the main takeaways when they do the, the post-mortem after the Stanley Cup championship. Uh, the feedback from the Players Association um, directly coming from the players and, and most importantly from the light, Lightning and uh, the Dallas Stars because they're in the Stanley Cup final will be exactly that. All right, we can appreciate everything that was done. Yeah, there are a number of promises that weren't met that weren't realized uh, in Edmonton and in Toronto. And by the way, if you guys haven't had an opportunity, Emily Kaplan and Greg Wyshynski of ESPN wrote a, a pretty thorough piece um, where they outlined the experiences of nine yeah. anonymous um, hub bubble players. Uh, and, and I don't think any of it is surprising, but it, it is very telling. And it, and it shares a personal experience of these men and everybody, not just men, and the men and women uh, who have made the many sacrifices. But perhaps the, the most significant of, of playing sacrifices is not being able to feel that excitement and the anticipation of the crowd, the booing, the hissing, the cheering, and, and all of that. Nothing that the league or anyone can do about it. Uh, I mean, let's hope and pray for healthier times. But I think that when they consider when the startup date is for 2020-21, 
and what the mechanism is going to look like. And this will be governed, I would think, more so by the health authorities than anyone else as to what the percentage of fans that are welcome back into any building might be. That's going to be a big one for the players. They're going to say, hold on a second here. You know, do we really want to? I, I mean, I guess as I talk out loud, the pushback from the league or the owners would be, well, if you want to get paid, you're going to play no matter what the circumstances, especially if we've got full health clearance. But it, it's, it's a big issue for the players not having the fans there to feed off. I'm only bringing this up because I do have a, uh, a ten. I do tend to go to the weird side when it comes to a sense of humor, but this is the one time, might be the only time where Gary Bettman can have cheering when he's handing out the Stanley Cup, or do they just have some fun with it and have a boo sound effect in there just to make him <laughs> smile a little bit? It's funny the the stuff you think of when you're sitting there watching, but I'd, I'd like to hear a little disgruntled yeah. crowd when he comes out, but I don't know if, if he's up for that. Uh, but well, there's a lot of things to take a look at, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and look, you and I share that kind of unique sense of humor. Um, and oddly enough, you know, we've got insider trading uh, coming up on Thursday this week. And I thought to myself, I, I should really reach out to the league and, and find out what they're going to do with that exercise of of handing over the, the Stanley Cup trophy. And, and okay, that's going to be unique in and of itself. I mean, these guys are going to be parading and skating around an empty sheet of ice. And I get that. I mean, you make the best of a bad situation. I would say I know Batman well enough um, that he too has a unique sense of humor and he makes the best of it. I mean, I've never understood more than the Stanley Cup final, which is bizarre. Okay. He's handing out arguably the most coveted trophy in pro sport and he's still getting booed. But even more bizarre for me is when you go into the draft cities and all, every city that, that is awarded a draft campaigns hard for the draft. And yet here are these so-called fans in this building booing the very commissioner that was part of a process to bring the event to that city. So I hope that Batman has some fun with it. I'm sure that it's been suggested by the events people. I don't think that we should hear an overwhelming chorus of boos but at least a smattering of booze would uh, seem apropos, I would say. Well, it's funny, too, because if we mix that in, I can imagine Gary making a call like, you were a little bit heavy on the canned buoy there, pal. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know who's responsible for that extra 20 seconds of booing. <laughs> I want a badge number. Hey, one of the things, yeah. and it's funny that, that you brought this up because before we got to you, I was talking about the fact that I, I found myself a little bored with the cup final, and I don't think it's because of the hockey. I just think it's the fact that if I could be outside – on the back deck, yeah. or if, if I could have the opportunity to go out for a dinner while the weather is pleasant, it's a really tough choice for me. And, I, I mean, I love hockey as much as the next guy. The other thing, too, is uh, I'm finding in our house, the 13-year-old loves NBA basketball more than anything. Yeah. And Jamal Murray's been a fascinating uh, little study now that the Raptors are out. So all of a sudden, we're flipping back and forth. Well... I never considered that it would even get to that, but yet here we are. Yeah, and and that's probably the most valid point, Bryn, is the fact that now you know the National Hockey League is in direct competition with not just one sport but multiple sports. You know, um, I I'm sitting on the weekend, um, you know, preparing and, and looking forward to from a fan perspective, 
uh, you know, some of the NFL games that were being played and, and, and whatnot. And then, of course, you've got the U.S. Open and, uh, you know, the DeChambeau story and uh, Matt Wolf and whether or not, you know, he could uh, carry his lead into to round four. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, well, hold on a sec. You know, I, you know Saturday night, of course, I watched the, the opener of the Stanley Cup final. Um, normally on Sunday, I'd be looking and prepping for the week ahead. And I did none of that because I was consumed by everything that was in the sporting world on the weekend. And on Sunday, that wasn't hockey. That was the U.S. Open. That was football. That was everything else that was going on. So, um, hey, look, in our world in Canada, hockey is, is relevant. It's as relevant as it's, it's, it's always been. The ratings may not bear that out on national television. I, I'm not sure. Um, but given the uncertainty of the times and everything, I think it is best case scenario. But uh, I think that we all also have to give ourselves a break in this process because, yeah, you want to be entertained and there's so much, so many factors that contribute to that. But, uh, you know, an hour ago, uh, I'm enlightened to the fact that there are almost 500 positive cases of COVID-19 in Ontario. So excuse us if we're not, you know, all in on what's going on on a national sports platform because sadly whether this is the second wave or not it feels like there are perhaps more pressing things to to occupy our time specific to our families yeah absolutely you know that i just hope everybody for everybody's sake we can get out of this because i see those numbers uh, in ontario and the numbers in edmonton have been rising even though they've done a tremendous job within the bubble and out west, I mean, yeah. let's get a handle on this so that, I mean, I don't know what the new normal is going to look like, Darren, uh, whether we're going to have Stanley Cups played in in September and October and seasons starting in January, uh, which it looks like we might have. But, uh, I mean, I don't need it right now or next week, but I hope we can get a handle on this so at some point we can move forward and get back to normal. Yeah. Um, the timing of this, of everything is so odd. And, and, and the one thing that's interesting, you know, Stanley Cup now, we've got free agency coming up and uh, at, a, at a completely different time. It's no longer July 1st. Chatting with Billy Aaron this morning, he's already told Miku Koivu he's not uh, coming back. Uh, he's yeah. made the trade of Eric Stoll, which surprised a bunch of people. And he simply said, Hey, if I don't make changes, we don't change as a team. And Minnesota's been in that perpetual middle ground where they're not terrible and they're not great. So he's off and running. Yeah, and and I look for him to be one of the more active general managers in the days and uh, the weeks ahead. I mean, the, the Matt Dumba speculation has, has been out there almost on an annual basis now for the last few years. Uh, it, 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 it's real now, <laughs> given the needs of Billy Guerin and the Minnesota Wild. Uh, I don't think he's getting a first line center, second line center for him. I think he's going to have to be creative um, and and look at perhaps a futures return for Matt Dumba. So what is that? A first round draft pick and a young player. I mean, we're going to find out, but I, I, I do get the sense general managers are trying to keep it as normal as possible, but that is difficult too, because look, if, if, if I'm a team, that is going to struggle to get to the cap of 81 five. Uh, and I've got good players in play. And I know that there's interest in those players. If I'm a team of interest, 
why would I give you a first or a second round pick for a player that I think is pretty good? But I don't know. Maybe there's a better player who all of a sudden pops available on the market in the next two, three weeks or month that I wasn't counting on. So I, I think that the process has frozen the ability for these managers to do a whole lot. And, and that's with some of their contract guys and some of their pending unrestricted free agents. I think the restricted free agent market is going to complicate things even more so because you're going to have teams legitimately walking away from arbitration cases and qualifying offers just because they, they don't like the award um, or they're, they're just not willing to pay it. And, and the only way to do that is to avoid arbitration, not qualify the player and simply give that player up for free if you don't have a, a trade partner. So all of those mechanics are gumming things up right now, but I'm, I'm open and praying. I look forward to free agency on an annual basis. I look forward to it more on July 1st because it means by the 4th of July, I'm going on holidays for the next eight weeks. Um, that's not going to be the case in October, but nonetheless, uh, we always look forward to what we call a free agent frenzy. And it feels like it just might live up to that billing this year. Darren Drager joins us from TSN. He's the hockey insider there. And I gotta I gotta ask you, what is going on with the shit show in Arizona? Because every time you think, you know, they're starting to make a little bit of headway here, and then it just seems to hit the fan. I, I, I just can't get my head wrapped around what they're doing there. What's your take? Well, look, I mean, I'm gonna start by giving John Chaka some credit. Uh, he went in there with a real outside-the-box line of thinking, and not just analytically driven, because I've grown to, to have time for the analytics world. I, 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 there's value in incorporating that, and every team in the National Hockey League most definitely does that. But that was then, and this is now, and the now is the Arizona Coyotes are a diabolical mess. And it's up to Billy Armstrong, uh, who's a good hockey man, to go in there where he learned in working closely with Doug Armstrong in St. Louis, how patient you have to be, um, how you, you can make, you know, real definitive decisions. You have to, in fact, and you can bolster your lineup, but trying to define the true ingredients to developing a Stanley Cup champion is impossible. You just hope for the best. And they found that in, in getting the best out of that group last year in St. Louis. So I think that Billy Armstrong has recognized that patience is a virtue but he doesn't necessarily have that either because the heat is on in Arizona. The messaging is simple. Uh, basically, if you're 25 years or older, um, there's a trade bait opportunity here. And, and so they're going to try and, and cut payroll, and that's not going to be easy for him. Once you cut payroll by moving out good players like Oliver Ekman Larson, um, Charmelson, Joel Kessel, go down the list of all the players that yeah. you know, he's going to probably have to move. You know, then he's going to have to approach it in a more traditional manner. Draft developing. Hmm, that's a novel idea. And maybe you make a few deals along the way where you, you add some youthful pieces as well. But he has got a monstrous amount of work in the next two, three, four years to get that team back on track. Do, Darren, do you think it ever does get back on track there? I mean, that was one of my favorite places to go and watch hockey just because, hey, Arizona's nice to go in the winter. Yeah. But it's like the land of perpetual maybe tomorrow, maybe yeah. next year, whether it's the ownership thing, the arena, are we in the right place? Are we in the wrong place? Uh, Chaika comes in. There's a lot of excitement about a young guy. How is he going to do things? Chaika's gone. Armstrong's in. 
it just seems like they never get that real foothold beyond five or ten minutes. Yeah, I mean, everything you said is accurate because that's that's been the reality of their history. I, I feel like, and I don't know this, and we're not going to know it until you know the next two, three, five years pass, I feel like ownership stability makes a big difference there. And the, the Marula family in Arizona says they're committed to long-term success of this organization. Um, and that's why they went through a pretty exhaustive process, frankly, in, in then getting to Billy Armstrong as general manager of the Arizona Coyotes. But you've got Rick Tockett, who's going into the final year of his deal as head coach of the Coyotes. So, you know, is, is he in it for the long haul and going through another rebuild scenario? Uh, don't know. And if he's not, then, you know, are they going to have to go through that process? Well, obviously they're going to have to go through that process. So if, if ownership is willing to be patient with Bill Armstrong as general manager, then I do feel like they're, they're on a path to success because he went in there with a remarkably detailed strategy and presentation. I mean, this thing was like a hundred pages long and it's all great. I mean, it looks good in a point presentation, but if you're not allowed to execute and manage the way you have to be able to manage to be successful, then you're never going to be successful. So again, I qualify my response to that by saying, you know, is this team on solid footing? It is as long as ownership allows it to be moving forward. Does Taylor Hall want to go through another rebuild? And what's going to happen with Darcy Kemper over the next little while? Do you have a thought or two on those two guys? Well, I, I, I think that Arizona is going to want to recoup the, the two draft picks that they had to forfeit to the National Hockey League for their uh, testing of uh, draft-eligible players as compensation. Um, they're getting a first, I would think, for Darcy Kemper. Uh, so, you know, if, if they can't get a first as part of an Oliver Ekman-Larsen package, and I'm not saying they're not going to, but they want to recoup those two pieces primarily and then get some yo- other younger assets Uh, I'm not saying they're not going to trade a goalie um, because, again, they may have to through necessity. But if they're going to take it right down to the wood, how can you be competitive, you know, if if you don't have a higher quality of goaltending? You can't be competitive game in and and game out. I don't think Taylor Hall is going to want to go there if he knows he can't win. Why would he? And, again, if, if part of the understanding is that Billy Armstrong has to cut payroll into the low 70s or the high 60s, how do you do that by giving Taylor Hall $9, $10 million a year? You know, that that doesn't make sense financially either. So I, I think that they've done a nice job in Arizona of keeping the hockey world thinking that they like the idea of keeping Taylor Hall there. I just don't see it as being real at this stage. Your What does your gut tell you? Or maybe your intel, which is always better than a gut, and you've got that. Taylor Hall, uh, could he end up in Boston? I think that the, the the world is wide open to Taylor Hall. Yeah, he could he could end up in Boston. I mean, Don Sweeney alluded to the fact, uh, you know, at his end of season media avail that they were going to have to make some real tough decisions. And there is an appetite there to change things up. Now, some of that happens organically. You know, we're more looking at the back end. <clears throat> you know, Tory Krug wants to get paid because he's earned unrestricted free agency. He's not getting top dollar from the Boston Bruins. Um, what's the future of Zdeno Chara? He wants to play only in Boston. Well, you know, it was a time that they moved on and, and invested those dollars somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So 
I, I think that Taylor Hall most definitely could be a fit in Boston. I think he could be a good fit in Montreal, and I can name probably three or four other teams. Um, I want to see how willing Taylor Hall is at, at taking a shorter term. Yeah. And I'm guessing he's going to have to, but I, I think that to create a bigger market for these guys, you know, the, these top unrestricted free agents, they might have to consider a four, five, six year term as opposed to a seven or an eight year if you're, you're staying with your club. I don't know how many of these guys are going to be willing to do that. If you're Alex Petrangelo, you know, you're what, 31? You know, you're, you're trying to maximize your term and you feel like you've earned it. Taylor may feel the same way. I don't know. But I feel like teams like Boston, maybe Montreal, teams where you feel like you've got an opportunity to win, may not want to be saddled with that sixth, seventh year. So things might get a little bit more interesting on that front. But I do see Boston being in that, in that discussion. Hey, let's talk about the award winners. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl, what a year he had here in Edmonton last year. And and I guess the only thing I find a little frustrating about everything is everyone says, well, he plays with Connor. He didn't play with Connor very much, except on the power play. No. And they were deadly last year. He was, he was, uh, he was lights out great. And so I think he's totally deserving of it. But the things that Robin and I have just been shaking our head at is that Nathan McKinnon's also a great star in this league. Love, love yeah. watching him play. But he, both uh, Nathan and Leon, didn't even appear on some guys' ballots until like fifth, and that's got to bring uh, a lot of question into play and in how this is rolling out these days. Because if fans are seeing that and they're and and we're seeing that, you got to wonder who are the guys voting for this? Does it make you shake your head, Darren? Yeah, it definitely does. Um, but as, as soon as I, I want to lean towards being critical, we all have an opinion on it. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't have to hit guys over the head. It's just a difference of opinion. Of opinion. Um, I, I, I recognize that that should be expected when you have full transparency in the PHWA. And man, there was a time when they were just thinking of initiating this where I was like, I'm not so sure I, I'm on board with this. But then I'm like, all right, well, I'm, I'm a voter. And I produce my ballot on an annual basis anyway. So why shouldn't everyone else have to do the same? And why wouldn't I and the entire membership want them to do the same? So I, I quickly got on board with it. Um, I don't understand the, the logic behind it other than this. The Hart Trophy is for the most valuable player on his team. Um, you can make that case for Leon Dreisaitl. Um, You can make that case for Connor McDavid you can most definitely make that case for Nathan McKinnon. And Nathan McKinnon, without question, is the most valuable player to the Colorado Avalanche. Mm-hmm. Most nights, Connor McDavid is that player for the Edmonton Oilers. A lot of nights, Leon Dreisaitl is that player for the Edmonton Oilers. So that's how my brain functioned around that debate of those three guys in particular. But I went with Leon first overall. I, I picked for Leon Dreisaitl to win the heart. And what made me feel good about it when uh, when he was named the Hart Trophy winner was the fact that he also won the Ted Lindsay. Uh, and that's an important one. And I'm always reminded of the conversation that I had with Connor at the, the World Hockey Championship when he doubled down on his quote in talking about, well, the Lindsay is more important to me anyway, right? And he explained why in detail 
it's look, it, it, it just matters more when your peers, the players that you play with and the players that you battle against across the national hockey league recognize you as the most valuable player. So the fact that Leon won both um, feels to me like we got it right. So uh, I sleep well. Darren, I want to, I want to go deeper into that because I wrote a piece on Oilers nation the other day about this. And the one thing that you often hear is that the Lindsay, because it's your peers, players say, yeah, that one, that one matters more. Um, is there a possibility or would it be a, a good idea uh, to take the vote on all the awards away from the media? Um, I had a managing editor, even when I was voting the chapter chair here, who thought the reporter shouldn't be part of it. That's their league thing. You're not part of that family. And I disagreed vehemently with them back in those days. But I look at it now and I go, even though there's transparency, which is great, even though the number of voters has been cut down, there's like 300 plus members, but only about half of those get a vote. Um, why not take them all away and have the PA rank and file vote on, on all the awards? Good idea, bad idea? What do you think? Uh, well, I'd like to side with the members of the PHWA and, and say it's not a great idea <laughs> because many of the people, and look, we all invest a fair bit of time, a lot of time, in fact, in, in discerning the awards and going through a process. I, you know, I, I always give myself some credit because I assemble a panel which has effectively been in place for a number of years, or particularly with the Norris Trophy, right? Because I feel like that trophy needs to be dissected almost on a quarterly basis, right? To make sure that you analyze the entire year. Um, I would say, Robin, that you would have support from general managers of the National Hockey League um, to some degree. I mean, the general managers, some of them anyway, would, would prefer that the media not have any influence or input and not vote on, on any of this. Um, but I don't know that the general managers would be fully engaged with then shifting it all over to the players or the National Hockey League Players Association for full voting privilege either. Um, I, I don't know. I, I guess the fact that we have this conversation on an annual basis means that maybe there's more to it and more can and, and should be done. But I feel like based on what I've seen, like we're chewing on just a couple of votes here, aren't we? Yeah. Like we're, I, I don't think that we're saying that, man, we just blew it. Like Roman Yossi did not no. deserve to win the Norris. Leon Reisuttle did not win the, deserve to win the heart. They screwed up the Calder. I don't think we're saying that at all. So no. I feel like in that respect, I, I could build a case for why fixing something that isn't broken. I'm not going to let, you know, a handful of, of media people who decided to use their, uh, you know, their, their pulpit to, to share an outside the, the, the box type of methodology or opinion to spoil it for the process. So I think you'd have some support from GMs, but not, not a lot from media members. You brought up the Calder. You take a look at the two guys. I mean, Camel Carr and, and Quinn Hughes. You weren't going to get that one wrong either way. Both yeah, those guys nah. really sensational and fun to watch. Yes. Um, this one hurt me. <laughs> and it shouldn't. Uh, and I'm going to disclose why it did. So the Hughes family, uh, I've known for a long, long time. Jimmy Hughes was a development coach for my son, Mason. And 
um, was a real strong influence on my, uh, my, my son's development as a hockey player and as a young man. So I got a lot of time for Jimmy Hughes and my son used to skate with, uh, with Jack Hughes with the New Jersey Devils. So I, there was a bit of a personal investment in this. I, I voted for Kale McCarr to win the Calder. And I would say that if, if the vote had been delayed, I don't know that I would have voted for Kale McCarr before the conclusion of, of the playoffs. And I think that that matters. I thought that going in or at the, the moment of pause, that Kale maybe was a little bit better in all areas but I do think that Quinn Hughes is going to be as good or better a player longer term. And I think that we saw more of what Quinn Hughes might develop into, you know, through the playoffs. Not that Kale McCarr was bad for the Avalanche. He wasn't. I was surprised at the gap in first place votes. Yeah. I thought it would be closer. I thought it would be closer than what it was. Uh, but I was, I was okay with it. I just, to go back to Robin's point a little bit and expand on that, I've got more time changing the timing of when we vote on these major awards. I like the fact that, and, and look, I'm going to blame the general managers. Um, Vasilevsky got one first place vote for the Vesna trophy. He didn't have a, a, a stellar regular season, but he's having a pretty good run here in the Stanley cup playoffs and oh, yeah. may host the, 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 the Stanley cup. And who knows if he stands on his lid, he could win the cons might, but He's not even really in the conversation for the Vesna based on the general manager voting. So it's uh, it's a bizarre time of year. Okay, before we wrap things up, I, I, I want to talk about Dale Howardchuck for a minute because you were kind enough yeah. to uh, line me up to have a conversation with Dale Howardchuck way back in late February and early March, just before I was undergoing surgery to have my stomach removed to get rid of stomach cancer, or at least try to. And Dale was about eight months ahead of where I was. You set that phone call up and I will forever be in your debt for that. And I also thought the conversation would last no more than 10 minutes. He was in no rush to get off the phone. We talked for about an hour, and we started texting. And then when I was uh, recovering in hospital from uh, from my full stomach removal, about a month later, I get a text from Dale Howardchuck checking in to see how I'm doing. And we continued everything right through until just up to a couple of days before he'd found that his cancer had returned. And uh, then we kind of started to lose contact a little bit. But I just wanted to thank you personally and publicly for setting that up. I also want to tell you how tough it was for me on the back deck that day to hear that Dale had passed away. But the thing that I saw to Dale out of that was we, we'd all watched him play as a hockey player. And we knew how special he was and what kind of hockey Hall of Famer he was. I saw the coach in him. Uh, and mm. and it was fun because he was able to pump my tires and get me ready to take on the biggest battle of my life so far. And uh, I just wanted to thank you for that because yeah. it was something really special. Just the, just those few months to be able to contact and talk hockey and talk Winnipeg, and we knew a lot of the same guys. By the time I got to Winnipeg, he had just been traded. Phil Housley had come in from the Buffalo Sabres. So I never really had a chance to maybe talk to him other than maybe after a game, that kind of thing. But what a guy. What a career. Yeah. And and what a legacy he left, not only as a player, but also as a coach in the Ontario Hockey League. 
Well, first of all, Brent, I appreciate you you saying that. Uh, I mean, you've always been a good friend, um, but the value that you take away from your experience with Dale Howarchuk is uh, part of the privilege that that I've had over the years of knowing Dale. We know that Dale Howarchuk was a great hockey player. Not many know that he was a great human being, and and so you got to experience that um, both ways in in watching Dale Howarchuk as a player, getting to know him a little bit on that front, but more importantly and more recently, getting to know the, the true value of the human being. And and just so our, our, our listeners and our viewers know, um, when I learned of, of, of your diagnosis and the battle that you were about to face, it literally was uh, a 30-second text message to Dale's son, Eric, who is just, I mean, the family is, is tremendous, right? Yeah. And I, I reached out to Eric and I briefly explained your situation and he instantly said, well, my dad's going to want to talk to him because there were two things that kept Dale Howarchuk motivated. Well, three things. Number one was his family. Number two was doing what he could do to either help people like yourself going through something similar or through a cancer diagnosis, whatever feel a little bit better about themselves. And if he could do that privately by reaching out in the way that he did to you, that made his day. He loved doing that. And then thirdly was hockey talk, you know, hockey talk. I mean, you know, we had him on the rain drags podcast, man. And you know, that was one of his stronger days. And you felt like he wanted to just talk and talk and talk about hockey because it just put a smile on his face. And, and then by extension, you know, following on Twitter and social media and all the great people who reached out to him to, to wish him well throughout his entire journey. So I appreciate you saying that, but I, I know in my heart the reason Dale Howarchuk did it had nothing to do with me and everything to do with the fact that he just wanted to, to, to help somebody who he felt needed a bit of a boost. Yeah, what a, what a guy he is, um, or was, I should say. Uh, Darren, you touched on it. How was that podcast thing you're doing going? Uh, that Ray Ferraro guy you have on there with you. Are you yeah. gonna you gonna keep him around a while, or or uh, you know, where the numbers make it kind of sketchy? What how's it looking for you? Having some fun? Yeah, well, unless they change the the, the title of it to the Dregs and Ray Hockey Podcast, then I'm I'm probably stuck with them for a while. Now you know what? Um, not. Unlike this podcast, I mean, it's all about conversation and not being afraid to share some laughs along the way. And, and look, get fired up on occasion. And Ray has no problem doing that. Um, and he's got a rich history of acquaintances and players that he played with who are, you know, now impactful in the game. Last week, we had Travis Green on and we had a great conversation about, you know, the direction of the Vancouver Canucks, but also had some fun at Ray's expense. And that's what it's all about. So we've got Daryl Ray He's now an excellent oh, commentator, of course, for the Dallas Stars. Yeah, he's joining us. We're going to record it Wednesday, uh, tomorrow morning. So, undoubtedly, he'll have a couple of uh, juicy tidbits to pass along about his experience outside of the bubble. I think he's in Dallas, which has to be challenging for him. But uh, maybe on the occasional times that he locked horns with uh, with Ray in their head-to-head battles. I'm not sure there would be many of them, but there might have been one or two as Ferrero put one by Razor on occasion. <laughs> hey, and the other thing too is that Ray is so easy to get to. 
uh, because the, when we had him on, and that would have been last fall, I said that, uh, you know, uh, the, the, and, and I've apologized to you for doing this because I put you in the position. Yeah, no I said to Ray that uh, that you were really kind of the glue that brought the show together and that he was just kind of in there. And, and, of course, he got all defensive, which is exactly what I wanted to hear him do, and it got yeah. him all fired up. But it's uh, it's really it's always fun when one of the guys has got well. You both have passion for hockey, but man, he's not afraid to wear his heart on his sleeve, and I think that's what no. makes him so wonderful. Well, there's no question about that. Um, you know, he's got a a cutting analysis, right? And I always credit him for that because that that to me is what separates the good analysts from the the great ones is the ability to pinpoint something specific that those of us with a casual, I may not pick. And, and, you know, there's a number of guys who have that ability and Ray is at the top of the class for me, but he's worked hard through the, the direction of his lovely wife, Cami Granato and not cutting and slashing back on social media as much as he once did. You know, he'll still, he'll still battle on occasion. If somebody gets under his skin, they're going to learn about it, but he doesn't do it on a weekly basis as he used to. And, that's by design. And, and on occasion, you'll see him say, look, I'm turning it off. Uh, and that's just a clear indication that he's had his fill for the week. So he's worked on that. But that's more Cammy trying to make him into a kinder and friendlier Ray Ferraro. Oh, my God. Is it possible? The podcast has been fun, Darren. I, I got to tell you, I've really enjoyed listening to you two guys. It's uh it's you guys just work so well together. It's been it's been a real pleasure. Yeah, no, we have a lot of fun, but that's the primary reason behind it. I mean, if we got bogged down in the negative side of the the sport or breaking news, which is great, I mean, you have to have something to respond to. Um, I think you drive yourself bonkers going through it and, and just trying to stay up to date. So the one thing that that we committed to right from the onset of Rain Drags was making sure that we had likable personalities on the podcast on a weekly basis because you have to lean on the storytelling and and the history and, and whatnot so uh we've been fortunate that way and hopefully uh it continues and the sponsors line up because that's the fun part <laughs> <laughs> well it's, it's terrific uh darren uh, I, I catch it every chance i get uh uh and also appreciate it when uh uh you know that uh you give us a retweet here or there because hey, yeah. we, do fun. we do we do it because we love it. But it's nice to have uh, people uh, make those downloads and care what you're talking about, right? Yeah, hundred percent. But you know what? And you guys know this. Um, and, and I've always lived by it. And I can't remember who told me when I was making my way early in this business. You know, you always make sure that you you keep surrounding yourself by good people because you're going to need those people. And our industry is no different. So the friendships and the relationships that I made back in 1997-98, in the one year that I spent in Edmonton and covering the Oilers, you know, I'm uh, proud and happy to to call both of you guys friends. So anytime we can help each other out, we need to be able to do that. Well, listen, thanks for your time today. It's, uh, as I said, this is three times for you. Uh, We appreciate it. (laughs) And, uh, of course, we'll have plenty to talk about. There's always going to be great stuff to talk about when it comes to the sport of hockey. And thanks for your time. Keep up the great work at TSN. And, oh, hey, one last thing. How's the the old guy doing on his boat out at the lake, Bob McKenzie? Uh, (laughs) Everything okay there? I'm worried about it. Everything's okay. 
Yeah, no, I, I'm happy to report everything is okay, but you pretty much nailed it. Uh, not a lot of intelligence being shared by Bob McKenzie here. There's not a lot of texting. Uh, we used to have a group chat, uh, and he no longer seems to want to participate in that group chat. Oh, no. Uh, but, yeah, we're going to roll them out, though. We're going to dust them off and roll them out for our free agent frenzy October 9th coverage. So, begrudgingly, he's coming out of uh, semi-retirement for that and obviously for you know draft coverage with NBC and TSN as well. So, his retirement days on the dock are about to be end, but he'll get back on that dock soon after. Darren, thanks for your time. Great chatting once again. All right, guys. Be well. Thank you. Thanks, Darren. Hey, Robin, before we kind of wrap things up here a little bit, our first sponsor is Step On Board, and we could not be happier. Not only is he a fan of this podcast, but he's been a friend of mine for over 25 years. And he said, listen, I'd love to come on as a sponsor. And I said, that sounds pretty good. You know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we keep hearing about how tough the real estate market is in the city of Edmonton and the area in the metro area, uh, how it's been for sellers over the last few years. But the average day on the market keeps going up and home values keep going down. Those are the stories we just keep hearing. But, you know, uh, Brent McIntosh is uh, is the guy that you might want to track down because he can shoot down a lot of that stuff. You know, a lot of people could try the three P's of real estate sales, which is put up a sign, put it on MLS, and then pray that somebody calls but I'd suggest you give uh, the Macintosh group at Remax River City a call and find out about the fourth P, which is about having a plan, a plan on how to sell your home for the uh, most amount of money in the least amount of time. That's what everybody's looking for. And Brent has been selling homes in the Edmonton area since 1998, and he and his team of agents can help you and help you sell that house of yours if now is the time. So uh, we're going to be talking about Brent and his folks for quite some time, but you can reach out to them now. It is the Macintosh Group at Remax River City. You can check them out online at macintoshgroup.ca, or you can call them directly at 780-464-464. 0075 that's 4640075 and tell them that the outsiders told you to give them a call but the support of Brent and his uh, group greatly appreciated the financial support is also important for us to be able to continue what we do and if somebody else another potential advertiser is interested in getting a hold of us we would love to chat with you and it's real simple just drop us an email at mightymouth at shaw.ca so that's mightymouth at shaw.ca and we can chat a little further okay let's kind of sum things up because it's been a crazy show today having darren drager on And uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is uh, the player awards because we heard Darren's spin on things. What about you, uh, Leon? I'm a little surprised at, at at the angst and the bitterness there. And I'm wondering if a lot of that is the Connor effect because Connor gets so much attention that people are uh, are try are, are a little dismissive of Leon, and that's not really fair. I mean, he was when he scored goals for the Oilers, they were twenty four five and two. You can't ignore that, Rob. Yeah. 
No, you know what? Um, I get it to a point how some people say, well, it can't, you know, you've got Connor McDavid playing with you. Um, and when he finishes high up uh, in the voting, um, you know, it, it splits the vote a little. Is, is, is Leon riding Connor's coattails? Well, I think if you watch Leon Dreisaitl, uh these last couple of years, he's not riding anything. He's turned into a terrific hockey player. I think he was fully deserving on both counts. And when you know, when you get the Lindsay, there's a saying that the players use, and it's as simple as this. Whether it's out on the ice or you're trying to fake your way through stuff, uh, the players know. Yeah. And the players know and voted uh, that Leon uh, should have the Lindsay. Uh, I didn't know if it would be a sweep. I thought it should be, uh, but you never know how the vote's going to go. When we look at the breakdown of the vote, though, Bryn, overall, uh, the voters got it right. Darren touched on it. You know, there's always going to be some outliers or some guys who who vote differently than everybody else, and I don't know what their motivation is. And, hey, maybe they see the game differently. That's fine. But under this system, you're going to have that. I, I think in every case this year, while there's some arguments to be made for two or three, you know, all three of the finalists, I think the voters got it right this year, and that's the bottom line. Coming up on our podcast next week, we're going to be chatting with Minnesota Wild General Manager Bill Guerin and also a guy named Harner Ryan Singh, who is uh, part of the Hockey Night in Canada group but more importantly he's part of the hockey night in pakistan group what they've what 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 harner ryan's done and he's got a book out and it's a fascinating book on how he got to where he is we'll get more into that with harner ryan next week as well but uh good luck with the the book launch this week but uh i'm already excited about next week's podcast because we've got two guys that that can talk and have got some great stories so uh really looking forward to that one little sad note yeah, absolutely uh, we talked to billy I, I one little sad note i noticed that uh that Bob Nevin passed away. And I don't know, I mean, for old-time hockey guys, you're going to get that. But the reason why it kind of struck me and uh, is because I used to, as a kid, we always used to go to SO gas stations because, well, they were always the big hockey in Canada guys, Imperial Oil. But uh, they used to put these things called these SO power player books together. And you'd get little player stamps and you'd collect them and you'd put them in. Bob Nevin was one Mm -hmm. of my, Bob Nevin and Rogie Vashaw and Bill Goldsworthy were the first three guys that I ever got as I was putting together (laughs) my SO power player book. So when I heard that he passed away this week, I was a little saddened. But then you know what? You you go back and you look at the guy's career. He played 18 seasons in the NHL, won a couple of cups in Toronto in 1962 and 63, if I'm not mistaken. Played for the Leafs, the Rangers, the North Stars, and the Kings. But uh, when I saw his name pop up this week, it just made me think of those uh, SO Power Player books because uh, I used to just, as a kid, that's the kind of stuff, that's the kind of marketing that drove me to the National Hockey League as a tiny tot. So, uh, anyway. Yeah, just, absolutely. absolutely. That's, that's it's, the kind it, of it's stuff. It's what we had at the time. Oh, you absolutely. You get your sticker book, you put your stickers in it, you collected them. There was no, 
online. What's online mean? You either went, either went and got your book and got put your stickers in it, or you didn't. There was no, you know, there was no online. Bob Nevin, one of those guys. Hey, you mentioned Bill Goldsworthy. A Goldsworthy shuffle. I remember that when he scored a goal. Uh, terrific little fist pump celebration. We've seen us hot dogging by some of the old uh, old school guys back then. But yeah, uh, terrific era back then, Brennan. Yeah, I mean that time comes, you realize how quickly time flies. And some of these guys that that uh, made a mark, or you remember watching as a kid, uh, they pass on, and you realize just uh, like I say. How quickly time goes. I'm just so disappointed I threw that book out at some point. I remember Glenn Sather was a tough one to get a hold of, but Slats told me that that was by design. He said that way they kept driving traffic to Esso. The the other thing, too, was that the, the, you could get a, t- a tiger tail that you used to attach to your, uh, you know, to yep. the uh, – the your gas cap and the tiger tail would hang out and they were talking about putting a tiger in your tank man that was marketing way back in the day it was a lot of fun so anyway i can't i i, I can't say i ever saw a sailor sticker but perhaps i perhaps i missed the journeyman series in the run of them <laughs> yeah Okay, listen, to wrap things up at our end here, you could email us at mightymouthatshaw.ca with your thoughts. Maybe there's a guest that you might be interested in us trying to track down. We'll do what we can for you. You can also check us out on Twitter. That one's really simple. The handle couldn't be easier. It's at Outsiders, all in caps, 2020. So that's at Outsiders 2020 on Twitter. So make sure you tell your friends and subscribe to our podcast. It's really not that hard to hit the RSS feed. That way, when we launch a or drop a new podcast, you're going to get it right away on any of your favorite ear candy sites, that kind of stuff. And we're talking about Apple, talking about Google, Spotify, Pot. Pocket casts. There's a million ways now to get podcasts, and we're up and uh, and running. So, uh, Robin, that's about it. That's been this has been a, f- a fun week. It was great to talk to Darren Drager, and great to talk to you. And I look forward to next week already. See you next time, pal. was recorded earlier because we were ashamed to do it now.